The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. If you have a Bible this morning, I hope you do. Open with me to, we're going to start in the book of Matthew uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we'll be in Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll start this morning. We're beginning a new seven-week sermon series today. Uh, normally, the preaching ministry here at PHBC would be something we would describe as expository in nature. Um, and here's what that means. We, it means we normally take one passage from the Bible, and then we explain what that passage means in its context, and we make application of that passage into our lives. Um, we, and we normally do that as we you know, walk through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage, uh, through the entire book of the Bible. We do Old Testament, New Testament alike. Uh, for example, we just finished the book of Romans last week. Uh, later this year, we'll be jumping into 1 Samuel and the Old Testament. So that's what we normally do. And as we preach expositionally, uh, we, we're making sure that we're covering or that we're being fed the entire counsel of the Word of God. And we don't, we don't shy away from difficult passages. We don't skip, you know, so, oh, I don't really want to preach that and skip that passage. We, we address each of those passages because we believe that all of God's Word, every word, Every word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so we take our time. We want to make sure we cover everything the Bible has to teach. And this is, this is our normal diet, if you will, of the Word of God on Sunday mornings. Um, and I believe it should be our normal diet on Sunday mornings. But occasionally, uh, we offer what might be called topical messages. And we've done this in the past, and that's what we're getting ready to do right now. Uh, so we take a biblical topic. And we seek to understand what the Bible has to say about that. And today, we're going to begin addressing the topic of parenting. Uh, Now, the Bible has a lot to say about parenting. After all, uh, parenting is God's idea. It's not something we came up with. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so... Uh, parenting is his idea, but there's not just one place. There's not, if you will, turn to the book of parenting and you're going to learn everything there is to know about parenting. That's not the way it works. It's all over the Bible. And so the principles that inform how we parent our children are all over the Bible. And so for the next seven weeks, uh, today included, we're going to be examining two principles, two gospel principles each week. Uh, so in total, we'll look at 14 different gospel principles that inform how we Um, parent our children now with that being said by the way what i'm talking about today if you're in it like you said man i'd sure like to know more about that next sunday um, in room 300 in the back here um, if you're interested you just show up to room 300 and we're going to have a a a small group discussion um, about it and then whatever next week's sermon topic is will the following sunday we'll dig in deeper and so if you follow what i'm saying ever so the next sunday we'll dig in deeper to this and so if you're if you want to come join us in room 300 uh next week but we're going to be jumping um around the bible a little bit uh, more so than normal but i'll make sure that we can all keep up okay uh, i've titled to this morning's message calling and identity calling and identity if you're a note taker um Here's the central idea for today. 
parents are to find their own identity in Christ as they point their own children to Christ. So as if you're a parent, you're defined, you find your own identity in Christ as you point your children to Christ. And I want to make three points um, to that effect this morning. Point number one is parents are treasure seekers, are treasure hunters. Parents are treasure hunters. And actually, in reality, we're, we're all treasure hunters. So if you're a single adult here, adult here this morning, guess what? You're a treasure hunter. Um, if your children have long since left the home and you're living at home by yourself, you are a treasure hunter. If you're a child this morning living in your parents' house, guess what? You are a treasure hunter. It's true of every person on the planet. We are all treasure hunters. Everything we do, every decision we make is in pursuit of treasure. I want you to listen to these words from Jesus. I'm reading again from Matthew chapter 6, and I'll begin in verse 19. I'm reading through verse 24 this morning. And Jesus says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now I want us to notice this morning where Jesus starts in this passage, he doesn't start by denying the reality of treasure, nor does he start by telling us that the pursuit of treasure is somehow bad. He, you know, he doesn't tell us, you know, stop going after treasure. Because actually, if he were to say that, if he were to tell us to stop doing that, he would be actually going against who we've been created to be. Because as human beings, we are naturally by, by God's grace, we are value-motivated. We all are. We're all treasure hunters. We're all treasure seekers. Sometimes the treasures we seek are found in our possessions, in our bank accounts, in our cars, in our houses, in our clothes, and having the latest, greatest you know, electronic gadget. And so we pursue these things and we make them a priority in our lives. Others of us find things like success to be a treasure. And after all, that's, again, that's good and proper. We've been made in the image of our Creator. He's a, he's a builder. He's a designer. He's a, he's a doer. And so we push for, we value, we treasure success in our lives. But again, I want us to notice where Jesus is in this passage. He's not against the pursuit of treasure. He doesn't tell us not to seek treasure. He's simply warning us about where we go looking for our treasure. He tells us specifically not to store up treasure in this world, but to store up treasure in heaven. But at this point, you might be wondering, you know, what exactly does this have to do with parenting? You know, isn't this a parenting series? And well, this has everything to do with parenting. Let's, let's just consider, let's consider the possessions as a treasure, as an example. 
What, is, what, is, what do possessions have to do with parenting? What, what happens when we make possessions our treasure in this world and we pursue the treasure of possessions? Well, as a parent, when we do that, we'll have a tendency then to make the stains on our carpet more important than the souls of our children. Now, let me illustrate this by telling a rather embarrassing story about myself, my own failure in this regard. And the reason I want to share this story with you is uh, this embarrassing story about myself is because I want you to know that just because I'm up here preaching about parenting, it doesn't mean like, well, I've got this whole thing figured out, right? I, I, I don't have it figured out, not by a long shot, and nor have any of the other men. I won't be the only one preaching these seven weeks, by the way, and nor have any of the other men had have it figured out. We are all, every one of us, we are works in progress just like you are, okay? We're a work in progress. And so I share this example of how I'm failed in this particular regard. Most of you know my wife and I, we have uh, four children. We love our children uh, deeply. They were all home yesterday to celebrate uh, uh, their mother for Mother's Day. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. But when they were growing up, for the most part, I'm the one, I had the joy of teaching our children how to drive. You know, that responsibility fell on my shoulders, which is perfectly fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but I'm old enough now that all four of our children are of driving age. And so the story I'm going to tell, I'm not going to tell you which child this happened to. It could have happened to any one of them. All right. I'm not going to embarrass my children. This is the time to embarrass me, not my child. Um, I'm going to use the masculine pronoun just to make it easier to tell the story, but I'm not saying it happened to one of the boys. It's, again, it could have happened to any one of them. But as this particular child was learning how to drive, he was uh, learning how to get the car in and out of the garage. All right which even for some people that are driving a while, that's not, not the easiest thing to do in the world. And um, he, at this point in his driving, he only had a permit um, at this point, didn't have the license yet. And so I'm coaching him. And here, here's the crux of the story. One day he's, he's pulling out of the garage and he starts turning too soon so that the front bumper catches the side of the garage. Well, instead of stopping going forward, correcting, and then coming back, he continues to go back just a few inches, just a few inches, but a few inches enough to remove half the front bumper, okay? Now, it, it sounds worse than it is. If you know anything about these modern cars, these plastic bumpers that you have, they're, they're relatively easy to fix. No permanent damage was done to the car, but I was mad. <laughs> I mean, I was really, really mad. I, I, I distinctly, I remember yelling at him like, I can't believe you. What are you doing? And then sending him in the house so I could correct the steering and fix the bumper. And let me just say that praise be to God. I mean, this is genuine. Praise be to God. It, I didn't have to wait days for this to happen. This happened like in just a matter of minutes after that. The Holy Spirit got all over me as I was repairing that bumper. And the Spirit of God convicted me that I was more concerned about that bumper, that cheap plastic bumper, than I was, I was more concerned about that bumper than I was about the soul of my child. And so immediately I went in the house, I hugged him, I apologized to him, and I told him that I had treated him unfairly. That's an example of what happens when possessions become our treasure in this world. When we treasure, when, you know, when, when what happens to our possessions are more important than our children. Now, to be clear, 
Listen, to be clear, no godly parent is ever going to say, yes, I value my possessions more than I do my child. Uh, but the way we react when those possessions are damaged or lost often tells, oftentimes tells a different story. And so, beloved, let me just ask this question. You say, you're a treasure hunter. Where are you finding your treasure? For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Point number two. Parents are called to point their children to Christ. Parents are called to point their children to Christ. One of the most important things you should ever do before you take a job is to look at the job description, right? I mean, you want to know what, that, what your employer is expecting of you before you take that job. Well, the, the same thing could and should be said about parenting. As parents, we've been called to a godly and lofty post And for those of us who've had the privilege of being parents, I will say this without reservation, there is without a doubt no more important job in this world than that of being a parent. And so what's the job description of a parent? If I were to summarize the job description of a parent into one sentence, I would say that the job description, particularly for a Christian parent, okay, the job description of a Christian parent is to point their children to Jesus. Period. That's it. As Christian parents, our job is to point our children to Jesus. And beloved, understand this. We can't save our children. We can't make our children Christians. But by God's grace, we can spend our energy and effort pointing them to Jesus every day of their lives. Beloved, understand this. It's not the church's job to tell your children about Jesus. It's your job as parents to tell your church, tell your children about Jesus. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. The church does have an exceedingly important role in supporting parents in this process. So we come alongside parents. But let me make this absolutely clear for everyone. If you're counting on your children to, turn, to, to learn everything they need to know about life and godliness from the three or maybe four hours a week that they're involved in church activities, and that's being, by the way, being generous from what the average young person is involved in church activities. If you're counting on the church to take care of everything, then you're in for a rude awakening. So if at the same time you are not investing as a mom or dad, investing into your children, if your children aren't hearing from you about the importance of the faith, then don't be surprised when they leave the faith. Don't be surprised when that happens. Now again, we can't make our children trust Jesus. We can't make them Christians. But we can and should regularly point our children to Jesus. And then we trust God for the results. Turn with me, if you will, the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, so this is the fifth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is going to be a familiar passage uh, to many of us. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is um, one of the most important texts in all of the Old Testament. This text that we're about to read is um, often referred to as the Shema. The Shema is a Hebrew word that means hear, as in like what we do with our ears. Not hear as in your present, but hear as what we do with our ears. Uh, the text would have been memorized by every faithful Jewish person. And so listen, listen to this text, please. 
um, as I read. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read most of the chapter, although I'm going to skip a few verses in the middle. So pay attention. I'll tell you when I'm getting ready to skip. Um, Beginning of verse 1. Moses is the author here, and he writes, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Then here with verse 4, this is the, the Shema, begins right here. This is the part that everybody would have memorized. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, parents, pay special attention to these next words. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. By His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from the face of the earth. Now skip down to verse 20. He says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to, our, uh, to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are today. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us to do. This passage is so rich. There's so much here in this passage. And so I I just want to bring out three points from this passage. Three things I want us to take notice of. First, I want us to notice the theological content of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. When Jesus was questioned about the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus went to the Shema. This is where he landed. And listen to me, moms and dads. Don't leave the theological education of your children up to other people. Now, yes, certainly, again, other people can help us in that process, but ultimately, it's our responsibility as parents to instill in our children what Paul Tripp calls in his book a a God consciousness. You see, as human beings, we've been designed to know and to love God and to surrender to His authority in our lives. And beloved, that starts in the home. That starts when children see their own mommies and their own daddies love God and submit to His authority. And that continues when mommies and daddies keep pointing their children to Jesus and say, look to Jesus. Through every peak and valley of their lives, look to Jesus. Which brings me to the second observation I want to make. Second, when are are we supposed to be doing that? When are we supposed to be saying on our children, look to Jesus, look to Jesus? When are we supposed to have that discussion? Do we enroll them in a Christian school so the school can take care of that? Do we homeschool them so so they can have this content? Do we spend every waking hour at the church to get that content? Well, there's nothing wrong with Christian schooling if that's what your choice is. There's nothing wrong with homeschooling if that's what your choice is. For For that matter, there's nothing wrong with public schooling as it relates to this point. But when are our children, when are they supposed to get that content? If, if you still have your Bible open, look with me there at verse 7 of chapter 6. Moses says, you, parents, you, I'm talking to you, he says. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them. And pay attention here. Notice these four stations. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Four different times that we talk to our children, if you will, about these important and weighty matters. When we're sitting, when we're walking, when we're lying, when we're rising. That's when we're supposed to point our children to Jesus. And you say, well, when when is that? Here's the translation. All the time is what he's saying. He's not saying you set aside four hours a day when you do this. He's saying all the time, everything about your life ought to be pointing people, pointing your children to Jesus. Do, do you have family devotions? Well, I'm, that's fantastic. I'm glad, I'm glad you have family devotions. But there, and, there, and there's nothing, by the way, in the world wrong with family devotions. But if you're waiting until family devotion time to point your children to Jesus, then you're missing the point. If you wait until family devotion time to start telling your children about Jesus, then here's what you're doing. You're, you're, suddenly you're teaching your children that the time to talk about Jesus is during devotion and during church. But these other times, this is not when we talk about, you know, when you go to school, when you're at sporting or whatever, those are not the times to talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus at devotion time, at, at church time. And so you, you create this false dichotomy, this this false division you have secular time when when we don't when we don't talk about jesus and and then you have your religious time and that's where jesus lives and by the way beloved this is exactly where our culture is heading right now 
the secular elites in our country would be are happy enough to allow Christians to have their Jesus so long as their Jesus stays in his place. So long as that Jesus doesn't make an appearance in the public square. But that's not what Moses is teaching the people of God. We're to talk about Jesus all the time when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, when we get up all the time. That's what we're supposed to do for our children. We create within them, if you will, this God consciousness so that Jesus permeates every part of their lives. You know, how, do, how does Jesus inform our actions and our attitude about school? How does Jesus, how does, how does faith in Jesus affect the career path that I want to choose? How does Jesus impact my decisions when I get into an argument with my sibling or with my best friend? And listen, friends, Jesus should impact every aspect of our children's lives. And it's up to us as parents to make sure that those connections are being made. That's the job of a parent. Third third observation from this passage is I want us to see that these types of discussions should open up dialogue in the home. In other words, don't leave here today thinking that that the Scriptures are requesting that parents uh, lecture their children about Jesus. That's not what's happening here. This is not lecture time. This is dialogue time. This is parents entering into discussion with their children. Look again with me at verse 20 of chapter 6. Moses says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Do you see what's happening? This this God consciousness, consciousness has been so ingrained in the lives of our children that our children then naturally become more and more curious about it. And they subsequently, they start asking questions. What is what does this mean? And now we, now we have the chance to enter into these wonderful discussions with our children. And we don't tell them, by the way, well, well you do that because I told you to do that. You know, that might work when they're young, when they're three or four or five years old. That might work when they still fear you because you're physically bigger and stronger than they are. But beloved, that's not going to last. So we enter into dialogue with them. When your children say, what does this mean? Dialogue. I can still remember some of the great questions my children asked me as they were growing up. Some questions I was like, wow, that's a great question. And some of you have shared with me, by God's grace, you've shared with me some of the questions your own children or or grandchildren have asked you. And oh, out out of the mouth of babes, right? Come the most interesting questions. And praise God for those questions. Because it's through those questions that God gives us yet another opportunity to do what? Point them to Jesus. And so maybe your children, maybe they have questions about, you know, they're, they're little. Why, why, why are there so many different animals in the world? But don't you know that gives you a chance to, to point your children to the wonder of God's creativity in His creation? Or maybe your child is sad and they have a question about why grandpa or grandma passed away. Praise God for that question. 
Beloved, that gives you a chance to tell your children that they were created more than just for right here and now. That there's more to this life than just right here and right now. Or maybe your child asks you a question and you go, well, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. You know what you can do then? Well, you and your child can glory in the infinite knowledge that God has. You can say, God knows so much more than we will ever know in this world. And isn't He awesome and good and we can trust Him? Or, or maybe when they ask that question, you say, I don't know the answer to that. But I bet the answer is found in this book right here. And so let's find that answer. And you teach your children to understand that God is knowable, that He's chosen to reveal Himself to us in this world. And they become now lifelong learners of knowing God. And they become children who grow up with this big God theology. And they marvel in God. But our job as parents, every step of the way, is to keep pointing our children to Jesus. Now our final point, Point number three. Parents need to find their own identity in Christ. Parents, you need to find your identity in Christ. This final point, I believe, to be the hardest of all of these to deal with. I'm going to read just a, a brief quote how Paul Tripp begins this chapter in his book. This is chapter four of his book, if, you're, if you have one of those books. He says, quote, Few parents think about it, and almost none are aware that they do it every single day. Your parenting is always shaped by where you look for identity. This may seem like the most impractical suggestion you've ever read in a parenting book. But what this chapter is about explains much of the struggle we all experience as we seek to parent our children. Consider these case studies. You've turned down multiple opportunities for career advancement because you know that the new job is going to require more time away from the family and you have young children you know you need to be at home but your children don't seem to understand they don't seem to appreciate the sacrifices you've made so that you can be an involved father or mother in their life or you quit your job so that you could be a homeschool mom you believe that homeschooling was the best way to instill Christian principles into your children. And you poured your life into your children. You taught them Bible songs. You did, you did everything you thought you could. But your children grow up. They go off to colleges and, and for all practical purposes, abandon the faith. Or you worked hard to make sure that your child has every opportunity to excel. He, he's, he's been able to participate in activities that you never even dreamt of participating in when you were his age. But now that he has a driver's license, he seems to be more interested in girls than practicing his instrument or going to the museum with you. And now you begin to wonder if all the sacrifices you've made for him were worth it. Beloved, we're all, we're all interpreters. We, we take the facts of our life, the facts that come into our life, and we interpret or we find meaning from those facts. And central to the interpretation of meaning, where we find meaning, is this idea of identity or meaning or purpose. We ask this question, who am I? Or what, 
what, where's the purpose or meaning to be found in life? So if, you, if you're a homeschooling mom, is that where your identity is? I'm a pastor. Is, is that where my identity lies? P- perhaps you're a mid-level government employee. Is that your identity? You see, when it comes to questions of identity, we're going to look in one of two places, and only two places to find our identity. We're going to either look vertically to find our identity. We're going to, we're going to see who we are in light of what, who God has said we are. We'll find our identity and our meaning in God's love and acceptance for us. We'll find our identity and our meaning in His forgiving grace, in His constant presence, and in His power and in His promises. And so we might look vertically for identity, or we can look horizontally for our identity. And so if we look horizontally, and then instead of looking to the Creator for our identity, we look to creation to find our identity. And again, we can look in any number of places in creation. It might be our possessions. It might be our accomplishments. It might be our relationships. But beloved, listen to me well. Hear me well, please. Created things will never, ever, ever satisfy your quest for identity. Created things will never satisfy your heart and ultimately give you peace. And here's why. Because we've all been created in the image of God. And because that is true, we've been created to seek and find our identity in God. 1,600 years ago, Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo in Africa, he wrote this. This is perhaps his most famous quote. He wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I want you to listen to these next few passages. I think I have four passages here. Uh, You're not going to have time to turn to all these passages. I'm just reading a verse or two from each passage. Um, I'll give you the reference so you'll have it for your notes if you like. Uh, But just listen primarily. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus says in John 15.15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that... I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And finally, Paul once again in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life, listen to this, is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Beloved, we are found in Christ. Our identity is found in Christ. And Christ is the only one who will ultimately truly satisfy. Created things will never satisfy the parts. And so as parents, 
we need to make sure that we're not looking to our children to satisfy our quest for identity. And that's something super, super hard to do. Because it's natural to want to find your identity in your children. You pour years, years, decades into the lives of your children. And there's, you know, there's this sense of pride, if you will, that putting on the bumper sticker on your car, my child is an honor student at such and such a school, right? You, know, there's this, you, you, you find your identity. But think about it with me for a moment. Your child, and, and my children too, okay? I'm not, I'm not picking on your children. Children, they are lost. They are rebellious. They are foolish. They are blind. And they are self-ruling sinners. Every one of them. So why in the world would you want to find your identity in them? Furthermore, we crush our children when we place this identity burden on their backs. Our children were not created to give us meaning and identity. They can't carry that load. You understand that? When you try to put your identity in them, you are crushing your child. Don't put that load on them. It never works to ask our children to be our own personal saviors. It never works. And so how do you know that you're doing that? How do you know maybe you're, you're moving in that direction? So I'm going to share with you four warning signs that we're trying to get our identity from our children instead of from God. And I'm not suggesting that these four, like these are all like super black and white and clear. you've clearly stepped over the line. These, these, there's, there's, there, there's gray area here, okay? But four warning signs. First, we place too much focus on the success of our children. Too much focus on the success of our children. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting our children to do well. I mean, as a parent, we, we should want our children to do well. We should want them to excel. But it, could, it, could it possibly be that not only that we want them to excel, but somehow we feel in our soul that we need them to excel? Could it be that we're looking to our identity and their success? Second, we could place too much concern on reputation. On reputation. We're too concerned about our children what our children might do to ruin, not, not their reputation, but what they might do to ruin our own reputations. You know, don't you know who I am? I, you, know, you don't go out in public, boy, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're bringing a bad light on me. Now, earlier I shared an example of, of how I blew it. And so on this particular note, I want to say by God's grace, I think I've done pretty good on this one. By God's grace. I'm, again, taking no credit for this. Let me explain. I've known too many pastor's children who have struggled under the weight of being a pastor's child. They've been made to carry a burden that their father, their, their pastor, saying to them, you know, don't you know that your behavior can impact my job? I have a reputation to uphold in the church. And so I swore to myself when I became a pastor years and years ago, my two oldest were already born, but I swore to myself that I would never place an unrealistic burden of expectations on them because they were pastor's kids. And by God's grace, I have never, ever had to play the pastor's kid card with them. And for the record, if you tried to play that with them, I'm not saying none of you have, but I mean, if somebody else were like to say that in their life, I would, I would, you're going to hear from me, not from them. 
okay? Because that's unrealistic to put that reputation burden on them. They're not meant to carry that burden. Third, perhaps we have, as parents, we have too great a desire for control. We place such control on the lives of our children that we don't give them a chance to learn from their own mistakes. We want to control every aspect of their lives. And maybe if that describes you, maybe, and again, there's some gray here, but maybe there's a chance you're trying to find your identity in your child because you're trying to control everything that happens in their lives. Fourth warning sign. So we take things personal when they're not personal. We say to our child, you know, how could you do this to me? You know, after all that I've done for you, how, is this how you repay me? You, you, you left for work that morning. There were, there were no dishes in the sink. The throws were neatly folded on the back of the couch. The living room was vacuumed spotless. But your children got home, you know, an hour and a half before you got home from work. And as you walk in the door, there's a half-eaten bag of microwave popcorn on the kitchen counter. Popcorn all over the living room floor. Uh, ice cream bowls on the counter and drink cups in the sink when there's a perfectly good dishwasher that they could be sitting in, right? And so your kitchen and living room look like World War III just happened. I, I, I think some of you have been there, right? And so your first reaction when you walk in the door is, how could you do this to me? I work all day and I come home to this. What are you doing to me? Well, I'm going to let you know a little secret. It's not personal. It really isn't. It's not personal. Your children didn't come from, they didn't come home from school, you know, gather around the kitchen table and say, I've got this plan. We're going to scheme together and this is really going to irritate mom and dad. This is what we're going to do. That's not what happened. So, so why did your children do it? Here's why. They did it because they're selfish sinners. Okay? Hey, that's why they did it. So rather than taking it personally, this is yet another opportunity to point them to Jesus. This is a time to teach them that they need to have the attitude of Christ who considered other people as more important than himself. They need to be shown, in fact, that their actions were selfish. It's not personal. You just have the privilege of parenting normal children who desperately need to be molded to make, be more and more like Jesus. And that's our job as parents. That's what we do. I mean, what parent hasn't thought, you know, it sure would be nice to give birth to fully sanctified children, right? <laughs> wouldn't that be, that would be awesome. Parenting wouldn't be necessary. Yes, Father. Yes, Mother. Whatever thou wist. Wouldn't that be great? No. But that's not our lot in this world. We've been given the honor and privilege of pointing our children to Jesus and doing that every day. Of having the 100th conversation with them about it or having the first conversation with them about it. And as we point them to Jesus, we recognize that we're not finding our identity in them, but we're finding our identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, as I consider these thoughts, just as a parent myself, reminded that even children that don't live in the home anymore, that there's still parenting that goes on there. and It's a, a lifetime of parenting. Lord, thank you. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for entrusting these precious souls into our care. And Lord, help us. Lord, I, I, no one in this room, not one of us is a perfect parent. We're works in progress. And so help us, Father, to do what we can to point our children every day to be more and more like Jesus. When we blow it, Father, help us just to be quick to repent. To show them Jesus in our repentance. Help us to point our children to be more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that you help us in the end not to find our identity in how well or how poorly we parented, but that our identity would be found and rooted in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.